Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with high-caliber players and personalities from Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, James Sue. With every episode, the goal is to understand what drives my guests to be at their best and to understand their competitive mindset. So guys, we're deep into 2018, and I've been releasing a few episodes of Humans here and there. Not super consistently, I apologize for that but hopefully enough to keep you interested in future episodes to come. I want you to know that I do have several amazing guests lined up, and I think that you'll be happy to hear what they have to say. For now, I'll keep them a surprise, but if you have any suggestions or recommendations for future guests, please do drop me a line, and I may consider any and all requests. I want to make the show interactive as well. And thank you so much for listening and for providing feedback. The feedback is awesome and really keeps me going. It truly motivates me to continue on with this project. I also want you to know that the Humans of Magic book is still in the works. I'm looking to release the book later this year. What the book has is transcripts of the best interviews I've done with all kinds of great people. If you want to learn more about the book, please go to the Humans of Magic website at humansofmagic.com. Now, let's get to today's episode. Ari Lax is a great magician and a very thoughtful, intellectual talent. You'll hear Ari talk about the process and approach that he takes to preparing for the Pro Tour. Ari also shares how he balances life's priorities and some of the big lessons he's learned in recent years. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Ari Lax. Hey guys, today I am here with Ari Lax. Ari needs almost no introduction. He is one of the best Magic players today on the planet, Pro Tours Cons of Tarkir champion, member of Team Mass Drop, and a very capable, talented writer for StarCityGames.com. So Ari, how are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. And we're doing this over Skype, so whereabouts are you located right now? I'm currently in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, pretty much just right downtown. How long have you been there, or did you grow up there? Uh, I've been there about uh, two years. Um, I was in Boston for a few years before that, uh, but I'm originally from uh, Detroit-ish, Michigan. Okay, so how did you find your way from Detroit to Boston and now Washington, D.C.? I assume it's work-related, or is it magic-related? kind of work related uh my longtime girlfriend we uh we've been together for like 13 years sorry she's reminding me that it's uh fiance now but uh oh well congratulations (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks yeah it's been been on that and we still kind of forget to say that all the time but uh we are both originally from the detroit area and uh i was graduating college about the same time she was looking to go to grad school so she was moving to boston then i moved to boston and then 
she was moving to DC for work, and that worked for me. So we've just kind of been uh, bouncing around a bit, and it's been good times. Nice. And how are you liking where you are right now, like Washington, D.C.? Uh, D.C.'s fine. Uh, it's a little hotter than I'm used to. It's, uh, you know, people people joke about it being a swamp, but, like, no, seriously, like, it, it is, you know, 85 degrees and 85% humidity for five months of the year. And so, you know, me from, you know, the northern Midwest moving to the northeast is, is not used to this concept of actual summers, but uh, I'm slowly getting there. <laughs> That's good. And how are you finding, you know, the people there? Because I've not lived there, so I, I'm curious, like, how you feel it contrasts to where you guys are from. That's like a real mix of people from all over in D.C. just because of the nature of the city. Uh, but in terms of people I know, you know, Magic is, I've you know, met people from everywhere, and there's a great number of people that I know that live around here. So, you know, when I moved here, I was just immediately able to hop in, know people, and, you know have a community that i was a part of and that's pretty great just remind me again how long have you been doing magic for because i was doing some reading about you and you started off really young is that right yeah so i started playing the game when i was five or six or so my uh my cousin taught me when when babysitting so as my parents joke it's all his fault but uh then one of my childhood friends uh, incidentally played as well, and then he, uh, he introduced me to Tournament Magic, and probably around when I was 12 or 11, I started going to, they had this event series called the Junior Super Series uh, back in the day that was uh, people that were you know under the age of, I think, 16 or 18 at the time uh, playing for scholarship money. And I started going to those, and then eventually uh, stopped being able to go to those, and started playing pro magic. I've basically just been playing competitive magic since about 15 or 16 years ago. Was there something about playing casually and introduced to the game by your cousin and then going into playing competitively at a young age? Like, what sparked that for you? Because it's not that usual for people to play magic on the kitchen table, so to speak, and then move into competitive play, especially at a young age. I'm just curious... What factors led to that for you? Yeah, so I think that originally what got me into the competitive aspect of Magic was uh, kind of just like losing a bunch of games as a kid and then deciding, I don't even know if decided is the right word, uh, <laughs> being determined to not lose. Uh, so, you know, my, my grandfather, uh, you know, played a bunch of traditional like old man card games like Gin and similar games uh and played chess had taught chess club at uh the school he taught actual school stuff at and uh he just always beat me at all those games and then i played magic with my cousin he was a few years older than me and they were his cards so he always beat me and it just became like i would like to win and then i just kept i don't know i just kept playing and aiming to win and at some point i just played bigger and bigger things i don't i don't really know I mean, that's where it started, but I don't really know whatever kept pushing me to try and go bigger at any point. But would you say that when you lose in a game or in a competition, you feel like, oh, you know, I want to come back and figure out how to win this thing or how to how to do better? It sounds like that could be the case for you. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely it's it's the drive to figure out what I could do to improve next time. We had talked about 
a number of things that we wanted to discuss in this interview. And I know that you're big on learning and having a process, learning and process, two things. Can you tell me how that started for you and what life experience may have led you to be focused on those things? Yeah. So kind of kind of oddly enough, I wasn't really someone with a, a great process during school. I think like a, a lot of people who end up in competitive magic, there was a lot of uh, winging it and just kind of brute forcing your way through stuff because, you know, you're good at remembering things or, you know, just remembering things and then remembering the connections to other things. And, you know, that's good enough to get you through a bunch of, you know, what they test in terms of education. And so coming out of that, I kind of, uh, coming out of school, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting. So I was saying that I, I moved from Michigan to Boston and was looking for a job but at the same time, I also I had played on the Pro Tour for a bit, and I was in a spot where I only had you know one Pro Tour invite left. You know, I was like, well, I'm I have you know nothing to do right now besides look for a job and play Magic full time. So you know, this is like one chance to like figure this out and do things right because you know the last few Pro Tours or whatever I played in, I just kind of you know willy nilly it and just tried to wing it and that just didn't cut it. So what can I do to, you know, try and figure out how to do things better? And so I did that and it went really well for me. And then I just kind of started doing that more for more things and just being like, oh, you know, there's when when the goals start being more, uh, you know, you, when you play magic, you're you're playing on a curve against people, but not like a curve where like you are uh where you're benefited by the curve. It's, you know, you are always, you're, you're fighting against the tide in that uh, and in just a lot of things. And it's really on you to figure out how to maximize what you're doing to end up ahead of everyone else. Um, so that was kind of the thing that sparked that. And then I kind of turned it around and on the like, on, on the job search side, I ended up actually approaching the, the interview with the, the company I still work at today, uh, I approached it similar to like, I'm going to prepare for this interview like I would prepare for a tournament that I cared about over a long stretch of time. Um, and obviously it's a little different because you can't like, you know, you can't just grind eight hours of playtesting a day for an interview, but, you know, you can, you know, set the same, you know, I don't know if interview metagame or whatever is the best way to, to put it, but there's concrete things you're trying to accomplish and determine and that kind of stuff. And you can, you know, I applied basically the exact same skill set. And uh, ironically, I got the phone call about getting the job on a flight back from a Grand Prix that I hadn't tested for because I was prepping for the job interview. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's go into some specifics because I'm not sure all the listeners are privy to like a high-level pro and what that preparation process is. So can you first talk about the magic aspect and what is your process to prepare like from going from willy-nilly uh scrubbing out of pro tours to actually doing really well in them what what are the steps or what's the framework there to actually level up or get better in that area so uh the first the first thing like the biggest thing is that your your resource in terms of prep is always with the pro tour at least is always time you know, they used it for years. What they did with the Pro Tour was it was 
two weeks after your new set came out and that new set was going to have a huge impact on what happened. So you had two weeks or, well, if you account for like time in advance, like four weeks, uh, you know, four weeks to figure out what you should be doing in drafting instructions. So there's like two different things going on. And so the first thing you have to do in terms of this process is figure out, you know, you have these two distinct goals. How are you allocating time to that? And so it ends up, you know, with that two week structure, uh, being something like you, we would, uh, before the physical cards came out, we would spend a bunch of time testing the constructed format. And then as soon as we got access to the physical cards, we would spend, you know, a week and a half drafting and then go back and put the finishing touches on the, the rest of the constructed side. Um, and that conveniently, you know, the other keystone event is that that would be when people outside of Pro Tour testing would be playing the format. So you'd have your like presumed ideas up front. And then you'd come back and see what your ideas matched up against in terms of like some amalgam of other people's ideas. And then you just have to readjust and kind of uh, reconcile the two and try to figure out what's right. And so they moved the Pro Tours this year a lot further down the line. So, um, for example, Dominaria came out in what late April and the Pro Tour was early June. So there were six weeks, but there's still like a similar process. It's just instead of that, you know, two week end game period being, uh, you know, this is when, you know, people have first res output results. It's whenever that last result before the pro tour comes out and you're trying to reconcile where things are then and where they'll be, you know, two weeks from then. So, so timing's a pretty big part of it and understanding, uh, the timing of, what you're trying to evaluate versus the timing of the information that's out there. Your point is super valid then in the sense that you're always constrained on time and mm -hmm. you have some kind of hypothesis, right? Or you have some kind of point of view on what you should be doing in limited, what you should be doing in standard. And how, how does your decision, how does your hypothesis get validated or confirmed? Is it through playtesting? Is it through collecting information about the metagame is it through your teammates because i assume you have teammates like i'm just trying to understand that that process how you how you flesh it out so teammates are definitely involved i don't actually know i don't think even with all the extra time of like you know six weeks of lead up or whatever these pro tours have right now i don't even know if a single person could do a great job by themselves doing it uh even going full time but it's it's a combination of you know you were saying data collection and then effort but like one of the key things and you know a lot of the pro tours i've had success at is that our data collection has or our effort has had the goal of creating data for collection there's i don't know if anyone still has a you know a cell phone photo of it but there's a pro tour in kyoto last year where we had a bunch of people meet up in a conference room and we just had this grid and we had this grid of like the metagame and we were just filling in boxes we went through to figure out what we expected people to show up with, um, what did well against what, and you know, based on that, what we think people would do. Um, and I think in the end, we ended up, this was the one that uh, Paulo uh, PV won with Mono Red. And we had determined that Mono Red was the deck that people were going to show up with. And so we looked at, you know, people are going to show up with this. We think some people are going to show up with these three decks. 
and we determined that black, green, snake, and zombies both were favored against mono red and reasonable against the decks that would show up just before mono red. And we played those and did pretty well with them. And I think they ended up doing pretty well in the event in general. Um, people just did the math after, and they were the best performing things. So that's that's the kind of process you're trying to you're you're trying to approximate. It's kind of funny. I've worked with a lot of people over years on the pro tour, and getting getting a process that works is always I don't know. It's it's kind of always a struggle. It's kind of weird because a lot of if you look at the pro tour now, a lot of the best results are coming from a lot of testing that's just everyone is in a room together and you don't let anyone escape because then whatever thought processes were just like crammed in there just kind of start fumbling and it's just kind of you lock everyone in a room and see what happens and you know that uh as someone with a full-time job it's kind of hard to be the person that's there for you know 14 days straight but it feels like there's stuff you can do to try and uh, test smarter, not harder. Um, I just kind of wonder if uh, what the, what would happen is if uh, people with time and focus and all of that lined up, and what exactly would occur. Right. So you have to be ideally living and breathing the game and locking yourself in a room. But of course, not everyone can do that. It's not realistic. So. What are some techniques that you do? You mentioned like p- testing smarter. What exactly does that mean? Like, can you give me some specifics? One of the things that people talk about a lot in terms of draft, at least, which is kind of a, a pro tour specific thing these days, but in draft, you are. I lose a lot in draft in testing for the pro tour. And that's just because, you know, one of the things about draft is like trying to understand what the different strategies you can execute are and which ones work which ones don't and then what things do and don't work in you know different sub strategies or whatever so there's a lot of different like layers but it's a lot about like you know you you find a lane in the draft of like multiple colors or a certain thing within two colors and you're trying to execute that plan but you should know in advance if that plan is going to work so you try a lot of random things before and just watch them fail over and over and over again mm-hmm. until you eventually figure out that like I think a good one is uh, there was recently like the green red deck in a format uh, was you know if you look at the cards you'd assume it was like supposed to be playing a bunch of big spells but then if you actually played the games uh, none of those big spells were actually that good and it was just better to have the most efficient green red deck you could possibly have um, so you would be taking the like three mana three threes and four mana four fours, and not really wanting to play like the six mana cards. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of thing where you're you're determining what does and doesn't work. Uh, similarly, like you're trying to maximize the number of times that you play with every single rare in the format because the one or two percent of the time that you open it is the only time you're going to get to see it. And then again, you know, you're working with however many people and maybe people have only played with that or against it four or five times and you you really just want to know what's actually happening there um what kind of the truth of the situation is and then for constructed um just knowing what tools you're using and maximizing your time so one of the big things that we always talk about on the team is like 
what method we're using for for testing. You know, the the fastest way is just like some online simulator programs where it's just you know you're just kind of manually enforcing the rules and going through and not dealing with any kind of shuffling. Mm-hmm. It's the fastest, but it's not the closest to real life. Um, physical cards like teach, there's just things like when you're physically playing a tournament that you uh, I don't know like you don't just like see things or like uh, on mag- if you play on Magic Online like you'll you'll just see like a trigger or something happen you'll be like oh my gosh I totally forgot about that and then you'll know about it for real life but like physically playing with the cards does matter um, at times and then like playing Magic Online. Uh, is, you know, it's kind of a hybrid of the two where, like, you get to go through all the physical actions, get effectively coached a little on what's even occurring because the game enforces the rules for you, Um, but then it has the downside of, well, you get to play more games and have, like, an official rule set. It's hard to play on Magic Online against, like, specifically what you want to play against and then change stuff in the middle and, like, do a lot of free-form things with it. Right. Um, So often you're just kind of playing matches against whatever other people on the internet are playing and you get this kind of broad strokes idea about what's going on, but not like, is this a good idea? You're not getting uh, targeted information. So like, these are the kinds of things that like you're trying to, when you're trying to test smarter, you're trying to make sure you do the, do the right work for the job you're trying to accomplish. And that also explains why when I see photos of players in a room, you have some people on their laptops and you have some people who are doing like physical play, right? Because with physical play, you can you can unwind and you can talk through certain things, right? That's I'm assuming that to be the case. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's one of the best things about physical play over like Magic Online is you can you know if someone misclicks something on Magic Online, you're just moving forward. In real life, you can fix every misclick, discuss what happened rewind go through different alternatives all that stuff so it sounds like for someone of your caliber or or your team it's not so much playing the games anymore but or it is playing the games but it's playing the games with the intent of learning and gathering data is that a fair way to think about it yeah yeah absolutely and then i guess the next level up is figuring out how to share that data um, because it doesn't do you any good to have three people repeating the same thing and finding the same results um, unless you had some reason to doubt those results in the first place. It's it's like a real, like, actual coordinated effort. <laughs> yeah, it's real teamwork, right? You're really, yeah. you know, in the battle together. And I, I also don't think anyone can actually go it alone anymore, especially when there's such an edge to being in a team, right? Yeah, I think... The only time it's ever felt like going alone has been viable on the Pro Tour has been like those weird times where like the team situation is not well figured out and there's just an opportunity because no one is doing things at a top tier organized level in the correct kinds of ways. So doing things a little suboptimally on your own could be better than trying to coordinate with people that, you know, it's one of the risks of teamwork is that you, you have to work with other people who could be right or wrong and trust their results and know what you're doing and that kind of thing. So I, I assume and hope most people that uh, you would generally work with are trying to do the right thing. And like that, honestly, trying to do the right thing and working towards doing the right thing is 
most of the way there already. But I understand the appeal for some people to just solo it. Is there also the risk, Ari, of you being too close to something where you don't see the truth? I'm just thinking of examples at work where, you know, you, you, you sometimes at work you have this consensus culture. You have a great idea and you really believe in it, but it goes through a committee. It goes through like, you know, even two or three other people. And you may end up changing your mind because people are telling you this and they're saying, no, Ari, it should be like this way. Is it hard to also process the signal from the noise sometimes? Or have you gotten pretty good at that? I <laughs> I would hope I'm okay at it. But I think that's just a difficult thing to do um, a lot of the time. I think that that's, that's one of those things where you get a bunch of people together and they're all kind of talking and they all have their biases. And then there's this inherent need to or this inherent want to be right. Even if like you're sitting down and you're like, I want to know what the truth is like. It's still kind of sometimes sucks to have to concede your point because you're like, oh, no, I've done this and I believe this based on that. It's you could be wrong. Um, I think one of the things that I did that was the most interesting in that aspect was, uh, you know, prior to Pro Magic, I spent a lot of time just playing other games. And one of the games that I spent a lot of time playing uh, early in college was, uh, it's like a, a kind of party game called Werewolf or Mafia. And basically the premise is that there's, most people in the game are just there voting people and trying to determine who this like unknown subgroup is and the unknown subgroup all know who each other are and they're trying to be the last people left in the game. And so you end up with a group of people who are trying to direct things in one way and a group of people trying to figure out the truth. And I'd hope obviously that it's not as, you know, when you're trying to have a discussion or argument or debate or whatever kind of thing, it's not, as adversarial or, um, you know, the, that game inherently makes one side not acting in good faith for the group. But you, you get this kind of sense of, like, trying to figure out if someone is pushing an argument because they're they're acting in good faith or whether there's some kind of, you know, logical fallacy they're, they're falling into. One of the other funny stories about that game was, so I played a lot of that online, and similar to saying with online tools and magic, one of the things about doing things online in the forums is you get to play huge amounts of volume relative to like real life. And there was originally a debate about uh, a specific, you know, role in the game like that could take a game action to basically randomly eliminate someone. And there was this whole debate about like, well, you know, you're reducing information flow, blah blah blah, and a lot of like touchy-feely things but in the end someone just like pulled up the stats and it was just always profitable to do this so it kind of goes back to the whole thing where like if there's a debate you know it's the the ball doesn't lie kind of thing where uh you know if, if you're ever at an impasse like that there's there's usually a way to do them at least in magic there's a way to do the math and show one way or another what actually matters and that that's like a really good thing to like you know, if you're at that kind of impasse and people disagree and there's not like a clear case of, well, this is like the work that we can show, you can always go back and double check. So mind you, I'm, I'm asking all this stuff because I, I'm actually literally writing down your magic process is we'll, we'll apply this to uh, 
your job search process <laughs> in a bit. <laughs> You've talked about sort of the the preparation process, and then there's obviously the process of playing in the event. That's maybe more locked in or understood, at least to me. It's like you've done the preparation, now you go and, and do it because your 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 deck choice or your your strategies are sort of honed in. But is there something there about post event? Like is there a process you also have for looking back? Like for example, your teammates, did you work well with them? Or how did the event go? What would you do differently next time? Can you walk me through what that mental process might be like for you specifically? I think that's about as straightforward as you described it. Uh, the only thing that there's definitely a tendency to have a bit of, I don't know if recency bias is the right, just whatever happens in the event. Magic is a, a very high variance game. Things just kind of happen. And, you know, sometimes you will win a lot of matches or lose a lot of matches for no reason other than, you know, effective coin flips happening uh, that are relatively out of your control. And, uh, it's you know you're looking back and trying to figure out well uh, did I did I have this thing happen because I was knowledgeable or lack of knowledgeable about something or was it just kind of a thing that happened um, and there's definitely a tendency to uh, if you did well at the event be like yeah everything's great and if you did badly at the event be like I want to blame something um, even if it's yourself for not doing something right but the the real the real tricky part of the post event analysis is figuring out whether there is something to effectively blame or not or you know there's always the 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 initial reaction is everyone is like well you know you probably didn't play perfectly etc cetera, etc cetera, and that's definitely true um but ascribing blame to things that it's basically like developing a superstition right you know it's like well i didn't have my lucky towel and therefore i want it's like fine you know just because something sounds, you know, that's a really unreasonable one, but there's a lot of like reasonable potential causes for things going a different way that aren't necessarily true. So like that's the real hard part is teasing out which of these potential all things that are like that look valid, which one actually is something that you can try to fix or should try to fix. Is there a, is there a good way to to distinguish between different things like where it is? Yeah, I'm just trying to understand that trying again and seeing if it changes your result uh i that's a hard question i don't have a great answer you know this last pro tour i played you know what i thought was the best deck and i didn't do well with it and I'm, i mean i'm currently right now in the process of trying to figure out like did i play the wrong cards did we gauge what we expected the metagame to be a bit wrong or was i just on the the wrong side of some some draw steps and coin you know play draws and pseudo mirror matches or whatever and it's difficult to figure out. I don't actually have a good answer on how to figure out which of those things is the right target. Sure. Or if you did, you'd probably write a best-selling book about it and uh, <laughs> be a millionaire, you know, how to, yeah. how to crush the Pro Tour every, uh, every time, right? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> what about just, like, the teamwork stuff? Because you did mention that from playing Werewolf or these kind of games where you have a better sense of who's just where ego gets in the way where people are trying to trying to make a point or to prove that they're right versus wanting to do the right thing for the team or for the for the preparation do you also adjust that like do you give people feedback like do you because i i, I have to assume that you've been in different teams in your career right like mass drop is your yeah. current team but you may have 
found in the past that you know you you work better with a particular type of player or personality or you're just more compatible with with certain people i'm just trying to figure out like if you do you go back and look at pro tours and think okay i need to change how i prepare or who i work with in the future as well you don't have to name any specific names but i'm just wondering about the general process i've definitely done that before i think that you know in terms of personality or whatever i generally i don't think i've really changed like who i was testing with just based on like weird personality clashes ever in the past i'm I, I have a tendency to be able to get along with a lot of people on the Pro Tour who fall on whatever side of people's general uh, <laughs> assessment of agreeable is. In terms of that, it's the feedback stuff. I've done that in the past with people, and it's been relatively successful, uh, whether it's like group feedback or personal feedback. That's something that changes up a decent amount on the Pro Tour. You see people just kind of changing who they're working with. And it's kind of weird. It's something where, like, you know, when that happens, you end up in, like, a new spot, and you're, like, trying, you know, that that alone can be, like, a, a huge uprooting of, like, well, I was part of this process, and I felt comfortable trying to say X, Y, and Z here, but now you have to, like, go through the process of relearning uh, what you should be doing in that group, you know, how to... I don't know if convince people of what you're saying is the best way to put it, but more like what the most useful way to present your information is to the people there because everyone's going to view it differently or have different different ways of approaching things that let them that lead them to like interpreting stuff differently. That's another tough one. <laughs> I think that more than anything if there's any disconnect in how people prepare for the pro tour, it it comes back to the in general, most people who play on the Pro Tour are reasonable people and professional enough that they could work with almost anybody. But it comes down to like a lot of just time and coordination, things like that, being the best for anyone. Um, I've had you know instances in past teams where it's been harder or easier to test just based on when people are physically around, what people's commitments are. You know, If you are the only person not showing up for a week before the Pro Tour, you tend to feel isolated in terms of the information you're getting and you have to like reach out and be the person getting people to pipe information back to you stuff like that so as much as you think like talent and personality come into it a lot of it is just ease of coordination no that makes a lot of sense and in some ways it's really more about like having compatible schedules more than anything else right because yeah it's not like if you could work with all geniuses today uh, in preparing for a pro tour that you would if they're halfway around the world or something like that. So let's uh, apply kind of what you said about the the preparation uh, to something like a job search because you had mentioned a few things, right? Like uh, collecting and creating data, trying to be smart in your prep because time is constrained, and maybe having a hypothesis for what the correct play is or the correct choices, whatever they may be. So I'm, I'm just wondering now how that applies to the world of interviews, as it were. I think that before you get your foot in the door, it's kind of like a, these days that's a bit of a crapshoot, uh, at least in my experience there. Once you're actually there, like, you know, there's the, the classic, like, oh, what should you do in an interview? What questions should you ask? All that kind of stuff. But it's... Uh, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, what are your goals? Uh, what are you trying to learn about? You know, what you're going to be doing, what to expect, um, what things should you be learning in advance, what things 
Uh, should you be prepared to learn on on the spot? You know, by just talking to people. It's kind of weird because it's you know one process. You know, Magic Pro Tour is like you play test and then you show up to the event and then what happens happens. Whereas that's kind of like you play test and then like actually being there is like that last day of play testing and crunch time and figuring out even more. Like interviews, I can remember involve like you know longer presentations or tests or things like that that you can more tangibly prepare for and like taking the time to do that is pretty valuable uh it's you know i guess it comes back to the like you know you have a a big you know one shot concrete event where there's like a good outcome and a bad outcome and how you prepare has a reasonably large impact on what's going to happen I guess step one is figuring out what you need to figure out. And then step two is figuring out how to schedule to even, you know, when are you doing these things? When are you going to, you know, what should you show up expecting to do on the spot? What should you have done before that kind of thing? Just, I don't know if that, uh, that quite makes sense or it does. Yeah. Preparation is, is a huge part of it. And is there also a teamwork aspect to it because in magic like you're obviously working with different folks to prepare do you find that for interviews that you're just kind of a lone wolf or are there are there ways that you can get the help of other people in some way i've had a lot more lone wolf scenarios than anything else but i would definitely assume that there's it's not quite as direct it's not like other people are you know working on the same thing as you at that time but like there are definitely ways to ask for help there, and it's, I guess, the same thing in teamwork is coordinating what you want, you know, what questions you want to answer as a group. You should coordinate more what, you know, other people could actually, what information matters that other people could provide. Right. And that's, like, one of the things in terms of staging. Yeah, and, of course, also it's an imperfect analogy because when you're doing interviews, you also have Google. You can figure out maybe sometimes what the climate is like or what this employer is looking for. So you got a lot more help than like just the people in the room literally with you. That's basically the same as looking at Moto Deckless, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what about after the interview? Do you have any kind of like reflection process or, okay, how can I do better next time? Assuming that you didn't get the role for whatever interview that you, you, you went through. It's like the same kind of process, right? Just again, it's, there's there's the danger of ascribing things that didn't actually, you know, value to things that didn't matter. And it's the same kind of difficulty of, you know, how do I know what factors that seem like they could matter actually did? So I assume that's the same exact kind of problem solving there, <laughs> which is a big problem to solve. Yes, absolutely. So Ari, I'm going to switch gears slightly because I know that another thing that you're really passionate in talking about is balance. Obviously, magic is a big part of your life right now. There's also your career and your personal life and all that kind of stuff. How do you find balance in your life and how do you evaluate what is important to you at this point in time? I think, again, this comes back to the the constraining resources time. I guess I have like three main pillars going on in my life it's you know it's spending time with my fiance and our dog and going to work and playing magic and it's kind of like you know you have x hours in a day what is what is incoming what's on the what's on the future time span and how do you uh how do you effectively use every hour in the day i don't know if 
I'm the best person to talk about uh, actually determining what the appropriate balance is necessarily. I feel like I've gotten a little bit lucky on being able to trim some of the margins there, but you know, there, I spend I spend a lot of time figuring out what what my day to day, hour to hour is going to look like. We'll just say that. <laughs> okay, maybe you and I are similar. Like I have. You know, I, I try to say, okay, this week I got these things going on. I, I don't know if you have a similar process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to, you know, I wake up at this is. I'm going to wake up at this hour today, so I can leave work at this hour and then be home after commute at this hour to make dinner and then be ready to, you know, work on this for three hours or whatever, and or you know, be here at this hour and all a, a lot of like. You know, I'm going to do this on Tuesday and then have this ready on Wednesday because I know this tournament in three weeks is something I need to spend X number of hours on. But also I need to, you know, go, you know, on a hike this day or whatever, that kind of thing. Do you find it to be a struggle, like balancing these three things? I mean, has there have there been times when it's been really challenging, maybe at particular times of the year or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, that is a. It definitely has been a challenge at, at times. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of stuff can just kind of coalesce at the same time in terms of, you know, deadlines and trying to do all sorts of different things. And yeah, that definitely comes up a fair amount. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a great answer on what the right way to juggle it all is. But uh, when that happens, it's a lot of the, the, the time management starts becoming even more important. And how does it make you feel when times like that come up? I, it's it's certainly stressful. <laughs> it's certainly stressful. When you stretch yourself too far, you start evaluating, you know, what could I have done to not get this overextended in the first place? And sometimes the answer is nothing or stop doing lots of things. And if if that like regularly, if that's happening too much, it's kind of like a, well, I should probably stop doing a specific thing or really change what's going on. And that's, you know, that's another process thing. If if uh, something in your process keeps collapsing, you, you need to figure out how to avoid that collapse in the future. As I say, as weird as it is to talk about like all this life stuff is this process stuff, it's uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing of, you know, you have X amount of time, X number of hours, what are you what are you doing? And if things are getting away from you, how are you adjusting to fix that? Have you found yourself having to make tough sacrifices or trade offs? in recent memory, like maybe in the past six to 12 months, have you had to do anything like that you found to be even more stressful maybe because you had to cut out something for a while? I think more than like having that come up, I'm in like a a pretty fortunate position such that, you know, magic is a really, you know, in terms of like hobbies that take time and stuff, uh, pro magic is really easy to schedule for long term in advance. Um, and you know, uh, the, I've started, you know, more than hour to hour, like a lot of, you know, I probably could go through my calendar and go like on a week by week basis for the next, I I don't want to say six months, but like have a general idea of what, you know, like, oh, well this weekend I am not traveling. So therefore I'm probably going to you know, end up doing X, Y, and Z, and then this, this, and this, and have like these long-term schedules. And that, that's kind of been my buffer lately around getting into these crunches where, uh, too many things come together at once. Um, obviously there's no accounting for 
random stuff that pops up. Uh, but I've been fortunate to be in a, a pretty stable and plantable position where uh, that's really helped out. You're quite a smart dude. Like you're pretty intelligent. If you set your mind to doing what you want to do, you can be relatively successful at it because you have a process, uh, etc. But you chose magic, right? Magic is one of the three big pillars for you, at least right now. You're a pro player. You're you're constantly preparing. You're traveling. That's that goes with the territory. Why magic? What keeps you? in it because you could be doing a million other things i could be doing a million other things but why do we why do we do it you know i, I want to know i there's two there's two reasons you know the the question is is uh you know if it's like why magic over any other game i don't think i've played any other game that has the same kind of the game is constantly changing so it's constantly forcing you to try and figure out new puzzles and things like that um you know, I talked to my friends who who used to play a lot of chess, and obviously this is kind of, you know, biased because they now play a lot of, you know, a lot of these people now play a lot of Magic, but uh, they uh, they're always like, yeah, chess is a lot of, there's a lot of more like memorization of what you're supposed to do over a long stretch of stuff, and it's the same game it was, you know, people are starting, you know, there's obviously like a meta game of different openings and things like that, but you know, there you you don't suddenly have a new set of chess pieces come out. I think that's really the thing that makes Magic the most interesting game that I've certainly ever played. Um, just the the constant change and the constant fact that every game is, you know tries to be as unique as possible, just in terms of randomization. Um, but then you know why why traveling in Magic over something else or anything like that? Um, you know, as much as it is just flying to a different you know convention hall and spending a weekend there. There's just a lot of unique experiences uh, in terms of just like the group of people playing at all these events is always changing, and you get to you get to interact with a lot of people that you meet a lot of people, you see a lot of places, you end up in a lot of different scenarios in spots that uh, things tend to stick. I don't know, like uh, just like little things tend to stick. Like I met. Uh, Gavin Verhe when we were both like 12 years old playing on the JSS and we lived on completely opposite sides of the country. And then like before he started working at R and D we, you know, we like worked together and talked a lot for like years. And now, you know, he, we talk, he works at R and D. I play magic. There's like this natural kind of wall between everyone who does that. Um, but like, we're still in touch and all this stuff. And it's kind of just like, um, you know, saying, you know, moving to DC, I just, I just knew people and these are people that do all sorts of things and are across all sorts of, uh, you know, we always joke about how there's, there's one guy in DC, uh, Brendan McKay, who, uh, who runs like a mortgage loan business. So like, you know, I just like, I know a mortgage <laughs> guy and we, we actually, if you actually, uh, look, a lot of the DC area guys have, uh, you'll see it like tournaments. They'll have like his play mats or his life pads that he, he made as like, you know, thrown away marketing slogan jokes, but like it's just stuck. And so like that kind of community and like interaction with people has always felt really it's just been good. I don't know. That that's basically it. That's a really honest answer. I remember asking P V something really similar as well, because he was really big on bridge and other games as well. And he just said, you know, I've been doing magic the longest time and I have a lot of friends and community that I built up. 
and it would just be really hard for me to start over from another game if you know if you wanted to be a competitive gamer i'm not saying that that's exactly your answer but i think the community is a big part of it and also the fact that you've been doing this for a really long time and you have built up a a network essentially right you know i guess that is like a question that's important to ask yourself a lot because i i know one of the things you know i'm talking about all this like long-term planning and all this like scheduling one of the things that it's uh easy to lose track of on that is that like week to week uh do you want to be doing you know what you're doing are you actually enjoying uh what you're doing on a daily basis and i you know that's something that i've always you know had instilled for me from a young age that like that's important and if you're on the like you know very scheduled very planned very routine grind it's easy to lose track of in your darkest times have you thought about maybe stepping away from the game i've definitely had i've had a lot of near misses of falling off the pro tour uh as recently as last year there's literally a point where there were eight rounds left to play in the pro season and i needed to win seven of them to stay on the pro tour and i i think even at that time i was just kind of you know i was like well i if i fell off the pro tour i would still want to you know talk about magic and like produce content or you know just be involved in it at in some level um i don't I don't think that, you know, I've thought about this a fair amount. I don't know if uh, I'd ever really step fully away from the competitive aspect of the game. And I think that in DC especially, you see a lot of a lot of that where it's uh, there's it's kind of like there's the concept of casual competitive. This is like competitive casual. You know, there's a lot of people that will get together and draft. And it's like an extremely, uh, extremely competitive group, just like drafting iconic masters cube on a tuesday night or whatever um and it's like i think that that kind of thing where it's like people who are trying to win and trying to play at their best would always be uh attractive to me in like in terms of like not stepping away from the game but what the like long-term involvement is could change but like that aspect would be something i'm always interested in it's like the reverse of the I know I went. I used to participate a bit in like a, a casual kickball league, which was really just an excuse to like drink beer at the local <laughs> baseball field. <laughs> so yeah, more more of that, less of commander. I guess, is the way to, <laughs> like the analogy. <laughs> you had also mentioned in our um, talk leading up to this that uh, you 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 referenced the Arno Palmer article by Steve Rubin. Uh, I don't know Steve personally, but I did remember reading his article. So do you do you find yourself inspired or uh, going through very much the same things that that he's gone through? Well, maybe maybe it would be best if you could set up first. Uh, if you could just talk about what what are the points in the article that you that really resonated with you? Steve Rubin is uh, is one of the one of the highlights of the modern pro tour, honestly, he's just mm-hmm. a great guy. Um, and a few, well, it was like three years ago or so there was a discussion about like the grind and the full-time pros. Some of them really didn't like it. And then Steve just kind of wrote this, uh, wrote this blog post about he like, like being in magic and out of magic and just kind of like, enjoying the experience about of like you know being a magic player but like also just like in both parts of you know his life of like magicking and what he was doing outside of magic at the time and just like the just like 
enjoying it all and like being able to step out of the game and into the game as is healthy. And it was just like a really well written post about just like, I don't know about it, like appreciating what you're doing, but kind of like finding the best in all parts of it and like understanding when you are uh, too focused on the negatives in various things. That's kind of, that's one of the upsides of doing multiple things is that even if you're stretched a little thin, you can uh, enjoy a lot of stuff in a lot of aspects and just like have a blast doing it all. And I also have a sense from you that magic is a big part of your life, but it's not the only thing in your life, right? Uh, I suspect that if it was, maybe things would be more frustrating for you at points. I've, I've did the, the solely magic thing for a short amount of time and it was fun, but I don't know long-term if it would be quite as fun or quite as healthy. There was a lot of, yeah, I don't have a good answer about whether I'd end up frustrated by it or not, but there was a lot of, you know, 12 hours on a couch with three matches going at once. And I don't know if long-term that was, uh, would it would have been good in the longer term. Yeah. I look back on it fondly, but I, I just don't know. And speaking of looking back fondly into stuff, I know that all magic players, when they're on the road, there's lots of interesting things that happen. I know that just from talking to, <laughs> to various folks on this show, uh, you had mentioned that, you know, sometimes stupid stuff happens, with magic, uh, but sometimes these things are, are very memorable where they, they ch- turn out to be defining in some ways. So I'm wondering if you can share maybe some some something funny or disastrous that's happened to you on the magic circuit oh, that turned man. into maybe something interesting later on, like a learning experience. I am glad that I am someone who is capable of stepping back and just looking at things with an outside perspective because I've had so many absolutely ridiculous things like that happen. Um, I think the peak was when my plane caught on fire on the way to a pro tour once. And just like the whole experience was extremely surreal. Like you're just like in the air and then your plane smells like it's on fire and the captain comes on and tells you it's on fire and not to worry. And then you're just like, landed in like middle of nowhere Iowa airport that doesn't even hold your whole plane full of people and then just like all of a sudden the mayor of the town is just like bringing pizzas for everyone and has a bus to the casino and you're just like how how did I end up here and how is it so absurd and that that's been that's been good for a lot of laughs over the years you know uh there was a time we had to die roll to see who got the last spot in the second car in an event and who got left behind in Ohio <laughs> And, and then that story ends even more insane because, like, the person who got left behind just tweeted, and in two hours, not even the car they were expecting, just, a, you know, back to the community of Magic, uh, Kelly Reed from Chicago, he didn't even, like, the person didn't even know him. He's just like, yep, we'll be there in two hours. We're actually just going to be right by that rest stop, hop in our car. And it was just, like, a, a lot of these, there's just, like, so much. And I could imagine that if you... Uh, if you weren't able to laugh at the absurdity of these scenarios, that's, you know, at least once you've resolved the main issue of like, you know, not being stuck in Ohio forever or whatever, just like understanding that it's just ridiculous and just funny. It's a lot of, you know, the same thing that happens in tournament magic, you know, every so often like absurd things will happen and you can either be upset about it or just like enjoy laugh about them happening in both directions in every direction just kind of like find the absurdity in it a lot of potential for absurdity 
is there anything that seemed really crazy at the time that ended up being actually valuable for you in terms of learning? Like, I'm going to keep this one relatively anonymous, but like, this is one of the, the biggest beyond the pro tour, just like personal takeaway lessons that I have ever had from playing on the magic pro tour, which is basically there was an event, a player had some kind of had instigated some kind of outside uh, controversy unrelated to the event. Um, but then in the event had started off the event really well and then started trailing off. And uh, that like somehow like they then got involved in a conversation or argument about that. And obviously like they tried to distance themselves from it, but then it just affected them and they spiraled. And it's basically just been like the, you know, unless it's extremely topical, there's, there's like a time and place for, uh, you know, like personal and like professional and like what's going on. And just like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna like get into those topics, just like choose your time and place appropriately for that. Um, there was another one about like, sorry, do you, do you just mean that that person made it into like a crusade or something for, for him or her? No, it was, it wasn't even like a crusade. They just like had try, they had like an honest, like relatively like reasonable talk with the person, but like you just ended up not being like, you know, choose your time and place so that it doesn't, I, you know, I bet that person kind of held a grudge against the other person for like bringing it up and putting them, uh, on tilt and making them upset for a while. And like, you know, potentially they blame cascading failures for that and just things like that. Just like time and place for that stuff is important. Um, the other one is like, uh, another similar event story where like the concept of, uh, of causality is just like wiping, you know, when, something happens the, the question is wipe it away and then like what can you do from that point to to like move forward and this is i guess kind of a, a twofold story one was just an event where like i played against someone we were both doing well they lost and we like had a chat about how they were upset about not playing well in the match we played and it was just kind of a discussion about like you know i don't know if it helped them but it was like kind of a the crystallization of this idea to me is just like okay put it aside what can you do from there what can you do moving forward and then at a later event, there was just kind of like a spot where like I, you know, something had gone bad in the last mm -hmm. round or whatever. And the answer to what can you do moving forward is like nothing. The event's over. And that exact thing that, you know, went bad, that wasn't isn't really anything that's in your control. So like it was, you know, acceptable to be upset about it and just like. Be, you know, you're you're not supposed to be a robot about everything all the time. Even though some people may joke about that. Yeah, you're not a machine, right? I mean, it's it's okay to 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 show that. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, time and place, but just like uh, a lot of the crazy stuff that happens in a magic tournament is about balancing like your emotions about the situation and then logically what you should do about it moving forward and just understanding like how like not like how you should feel, but like what actually is useful to be doing at that point. And if the answer is nothing, then, you know, just, you know, think about how you feel about it and figure that out. And, and sometimes the, the action could be, the right action could be to vent or to let it out, right? And not keep it all inside. Yeah. The, in the situation I was talking about specifically where it was just kind of like a tilting thing, I, it was just kind of like one of those, I'm, you know, I'm someone who like laughs at misfortune as we were saying, but like, that's what it was. It was just kind of like, the venting was just kind of laughing at how, uh, you know, absurd whatever had happened was. I don't even remember what it was, but, you know, 
I remember that specific instance of like, well, that's like a reasonable way to vent and like that kind of stuff. Do you consider yourself an emotional player? Like you kind of, do you wear your heart out on your sleeve or are you more detached and, and non-emotional? I, I try to think it's the best of both. I, uh, you know, I, I accept that like, you're going to be disappointed off of, you know, losing or whatever, but I'm never like really angry when it happens. And like I said, I try to enjoy like the absurd things. Uh, I, I'm known for being a bit of a, a showboat at times and I can, uh, it's just like, you know, trying to derive enjoyment and absurdity from all the situations possible, I think. So I, I like to think it's the best of both worlds, but who knows? Have you ever thought about how that part of your game has, has it changed over the past five to 10 years? Like, do you find that you're a different player now compared to when you were younger? Not in the slightest. Uh, I, I like to say that, you know, back when I was, a lot of the stuff that I, I do in like a match to match basis in terms of that kind of stuff is exactly how I would treat it. You know, drafting the back room of a card store when I was 16 years old or whatever. And I, I try to enjoy what I'm doing. And I, I would hope that if I changed what I was doing, it would be to like put on the like poker face and like not be as interactive and sociable during the games. But you know, like I was saying, one of the best things about Magic is, you know, the people and the interactions and things like that. And I think I think if you become the, you know, person who doesn't do that and treats the game as like a stonewall like poker face situation, you lose out on a lot of that kind of interaction. Just, you know, and I can think of a large number of instances where just like uh my opponent in a round at an event you know, we'd play the round, we'd chat and this, this and that. And it would just like, even without, you know, ever seeing that person that much again, you know, it'd be like a few years later, it'd be like, Oh, like this, this, and this. And it was just, you know, you're back into conversation, all that. And it's just, uh, a potential pick, you know, I don't like pick up person to person relationship that just exists because you're treating the game like that being, you know, hopefully genuine about, you know, that aspect of the game. What would you say your goals are for the next three to five years? Maybe we can start with magic and then go into non-magic. But let's start with magic. Like, do you have specific goals for the next couple years? I guess it's short term, but it's probably going to be a longer term goal. Um, is when I started off on the pro tour, kind of winging it. I won a decent amount of constructed and was horrible at limited. And then about two years ago, I decided that I wanted to get good at the limited half of the pro tour. And I, I feel like I've done that since then. You know, I, I win, you know, two thirds of my matches at Pro Tour Limited or have won over the last two years, which is really good. And I just started losing horrifically at the constructed side. So I need to figure out how to, like, have 2013 me play the constructed half and 2018 me play the limited half. Got it. So you want to be a more well-rounded player. Yeah, or at least figure out what I was doing right at different points and get it all to happen at the same time. Do you have goals around winning or status or anything like that? Or is that just kind of a byproduct of your your skill base? Those are kind of just like short-term goals. And with the pro club, uh, it's changed to be a little more fluid now. Um, it's not that it's uh, those goals have become more achievable or less achievable. It's just that what they are on like a week-to-week or day-by-day basis is so variable that I it's hard to worry about them long-term. You know, you, you kind of just schedule the approximate amount of events that you think you have to go to and then try to adjust on the fly and like 
You know, you could have a really good week and that could change it all for the next, you know, six months or whatever. So it's that's hard to schedule that far in advance. Okay, so what about non-magic related or real life goals? Do you have anything for the coming up for the next three to five years? Obviously, getting married is one, <laughs> but I, I'm guessing that's more short term yeah. than uh, three to five years. It's it's medium. It's medium term. We're uh, the you know it's the I we've been together for long enough that I'm not worried about the like being married part. It's a more just about the like actually getting married and planning that thing part because that is uh it's a process and just getting through that is not I don't know through that, but through the planning part is the is at least the current hurdle. Uh in terms of real life it's just kind of like a you know, making sure that I'm on top of I've enjoyed what I've been doing for the past, you know, five, ten years or whatever, and just making sure that I'm on top of Am I still enjoying it on a day-to-day basis or like figuring out if there's something I should be doing to change it? Because like I said, it's easy to uh, lose track of that. And I'm hopefully not doing that. And that's just something I want to keep on top of. And the end result of that goal might be nothing happens. But just like having an idea that uh, nothing happens is the right choice or the choice that I should continue making – I guess the goal is to just make sure I'm making the choice actively instead of passively. Who has made the most impact on your magic game and why? Is there one person that you can think of uh, in recent memory that's really impacted your game? In the last two-ish years, the, the two people most responsible have been Michael Majors and Justin Cohen. Majors is just more indirect, just like seeing how he approached the game, just like let me completely refactor what I was doing and look at stuff in a completely different way. And then Justin is basically, you know, he was like king of the process uh, on the Pro Tour when he was doing it. And a lot of what I used to structure how I approach Limited these days and learned about Limited, I took from him. Um, Long term, the person, you know, again, someone who's more indirect, but the person who's like views of the game and everything that I probably have taken the most from was uh, Zvi Mashowitz. Um, old school pro hall of famer, but just like so many of the things about like how he approached the game and like finding core, like he approached the game from like defining core concepts. You know, he'd look and find like an engine to build a deck around or like the, the most famous thing was he looked at the mana in a format and figured out what was possible based on that and what the different shells should look like. And like, you know, he was someone that was, uh, at least among the pro community, would always like look at a tournament structure and be like, well, what is the exploitable aspect of that? And like how to like, you know, like X, Y, and Z. And a lot of just like how I think about the game has come from like looking at the stuff that he put out and just figuring out like, you know, that kind of approach. So that would probably be the the people. Right. So it's V for the game theory majors. He works for Wizards now, right? Yeah, he was really, you know, when he played, the way he thought about the game was just really something, I think. Um, I I think you you actually see, like, a lot of that still in, like, how a lot of people, it feels like at least uh, after he started, like, really writing articles and putting out content on a week-to-week basis, that just kind of, like, Without like regularly reading it, it's like hard to sh- like show exactly what he did, but like you can see a lot of it just like 
filtering out through everything. It was just kind of this approach of like, you know, you look at his the articles that he wrote, and it would be like a deck of like some weird, unique card. But like the way he would build from the bottom up and structure would end up with like, yeah, this is like 43 great cards and then this card and like this shell and like just the, you know, this hybridization of like doing the best thing and then doing the good, the doing something the best and then also doing other good things and like figuring out not just what like the most extreme version of something you can do is, but like finding a balance between like the the best, you know, that and the other things that are good and just kind of putting it all together. I, I don't know. It's just, it really just clicked and like changed how I approached uh, just like the deck building aspect of magic. He's really keyed into like the pulse of the game, whatever you want to call it. And Cohen, is he still playing today? He is currently taking a step away from the game is my understanding. Um, but uh, yeah, he's just, he's, you know, he's another one of these, He's just really, you know, really intelligent guy. <laughs> really good taste in movies and books. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. You're a writer for StarCityGames.com. What have you learned from doing that? I know lots of people read what you have to say. They follow you. That whole process of writing consistently and having a point of view about the game, what has that taught you? So more than anything, it's taught me how to take like this kind of like I, I don't know if the best way to put it is like this cloud of like vague ideas and make it into a concept and then look at that concept and put it into something that kind of makes sense. And hopefully if you can look at it and then see like, oh, I no longer agree with myself, try to figure out what's wrong with it and what's missing and like find out I don't, not the, the truth, but the core of what you were trying, what you were thinking to begin with. Um, so that process, I mean, that's kind of like, I, I like write on a weekly basis, but it's often just like me trying to like take like things that I've kind of thought about and put them into something that's useful for not just like everyone trying to read it, but also myself. Like I, I try to write articles that I would want to read. So that's, that's qu- kind of always been the goal. That's a good goal. It's, it sounds like you're making something solid, which maybe before it was just a, a thought, but you're making it into some kind of reality or something solid for people to to learn from or to read. Yeah, and I'm not saying I always get there, but at least I get closer every time from, uh, at least in my opinion. <laughs> my next question is, if you had a time machine and you could go back in time five years, is there something that you would tell yourself as a it doesn't have to be as a magic player, but just as a human being, like, is there something that you may tell the younger, less experienced Ari? I, I honestly don't have a great answer to that one. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way things have gone and derailing that doesn't, you know, changing it or derailing it is kind of, I wouldn't want to mess too much with that. Uh, maybe just like, I don't know, it, all of it, you know, sounds a lot to me like the the whole go back in time and tell yourself to buy <laughs> Apple stock kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, I don't know how much of that would be, you know, the process that you I got, to, you know, the process that you go through to get to certain ideas is almost as important as the ideas themselves in the end. So it's kind of, you know, unless there's like one specific thing that you're like, just fix this. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's funny because I I remember years ago being in the debate about you know if you if you had a wish what would you what would you use it on and someone said they wouldn't use it 
And I, I do still think that's insane. And I thought that was absolutely insane at the time, but it's kind of funny that I, coming back to it, I'm just like making a statement that's almost in line with that. <laughs> I guess it also shows that you've you've yeah. uh, matured in some ways, right? Or at least you're you're thinking differently than you did at that time. Yeah, I, you know, I I don't know if you know that was eight to ten years ago. If I would have had a, an answer that was like, oh, I'd go back five years in time and tell myself this, but like, it's it's just funny that it's the same general scope of things and. Even if I don't know if I would, I disagree with the opinion I had. I can maybe understand the point the person was trying to make now. For sure. And my final question to you is: If there was somebody who was starting to play Magic competitively for the first time, is there any advice that you would give him or her as they're starting out? The biggest gain I made in going from not just you know. I still consider like showing up to Friday Night Magic and like playing Friday Night Magic, even if you're playing, you know, I was playing competitively, but like I still consider that in like the same uh, chunk as like, you know, playing 1v1 kitchen table magic with my friends to try to win and all that. Um, The biggest thing to step up from like showing up to events and just playing the rounds to like improvement was to, I kept something static and tried to improve at things within that shell. So at the time it happened to be that there was like a long string of events for a format. And I just sat down. I'm like, I'm going to play, you know, I know this deck is good enough. You know, it's like, it was like some, you know, I think it was like Kithkin aggro in whatever block format that was. And it's like, I know this is going to be good enough to like not embarrass me at every event, but I'm just going to play it over and over and figure out, uh, not just the things that I, you know, not just like, oh, how do I play Kithkin Aggro, but like, what are the things that I have to focus on in a given game? And like, how can I move that on forward? I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, if you start jumping around or being, you know, trying to like chase uh, the metagame or things like that, or like trying to like, you know, do all these things and jump into too many things too fast, it's easy to miss a lot of things along the way. I think that just like choose something and try to learn from that thing for a while. Right. So have some patience and really see yourself through that, that thing, whatever that thing may be. Yeah. So Ari, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This interview was really enlightening for me and i hope that you enjoyed doing the interview as as much as i did i always love to talk about magic and things related to magic and whatever comes along the way and you know awesome and i hope to talk to you again soon yeah same